from the New King James Version. The Bible says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Verse 20, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother. And he asked, All these things I have kept from my youth, liar. Verse 22, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. You see all that stuff you've got behind you? Once you sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you, will and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Look at verse 23, his response. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. How many of you like to gamble? How many poker players? Don't sit up here and lie to me. I see your internet history. Come on. How many folks we like to, you know, you like to go to Vegas a little bit, gamble a little bit. Uh, you're like, I like to gamble. I just don't like to lose money, right? Well, I hate gambling. I'm not judging you. The Bible doesn't say that gambling's a sin. It does say in Deuteronomy, it discourages it because it says there's wiser things that you can do with your money. I would agree with that. But it's not a sin. And so we were in Reno. My good friend, um, he took me to Reno. And before he became a pastor, he was an avid gambler, such an avid gambler that 10 years later, they were still trying to entice him with hotel rooms to get him to come back. And so, you know, if there's anything that Pentecostals love, it's free. Y'all ain't with me? Okay. Presbyterians. And um, so he said, hey, you want to come with me on vacation for a few days? Got a free hotel room up in Reno. Uh, would you like to come and hang? I said, absolutely. If you're paying for everything, I believe God's calling me to go. So we went to Reno, had a good time. I didn't gamble at all, uh, except for a couple of times. I went to, I, we were playing some form of poker, and I thought, let me just give it a try. And when I started losing money, I lost like $10. I was like, I'm out. And I didn't like the feeling because it's kind of like a rush. It's an anxious kind of thing. And, and that's why a lot of people gamble because they like that feeling. I hate that adrenaline feeling. It drives me nuts. And so I said, I'm, I'm done. After I lost, I think I, eventually I lost about $50. And I was like, oh, I'm out. Because that's a preacher gamble right there. Uh, but we were getting ready to leave on the last day. And I had about $5 left. And I saw these slot machines. And I thought to myself, slot machines aren't too hard. And as a matter of fact, this one looks like a deal because it's a penny slot. That means with $5, you do the math. I don't know what the math is, uh, but you do the math. And that's a lot of slots. And so I thought, while he's checking out, I'm going to spend a few minutes just going for it. And so I put my $5 in and I'm pressing the little button and it's going a penny at a time. And I'm just losing money slowly. <laughs> Finally, I get down to about $3, maybe $3.50. My friend comes and he sees me playing and he goes, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm gambling. Uh, I just believe the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. That's what the Bible says. So I'm going to take it from all these sinners and give it to the mission field. And he goes, no, that's not what I mean. You're gambling all wrong. I said, uh, it's not that hard. Penny, boom, done. <laughs> and I'm just constantly losing money. He says, that's not how you gamble with the slot machine. You see that big button all the way on the right that says all in? That's the one, that's the one you got to press. I said, you don't understand. That's too much of a risk for me. This is $3.50. Do you know what I could do with $3.50? That's three items from the McDonald's dollar menu, paying the taxes and leaving a couple of cents for tip. That's, that's 
that's $3.50. I go to Dairy Queen and get a little snack and be all right. That's three. You talking about three? He said, bro, just trust me. He says, it won't work unless you go all in. And I put it all in and baby, it went from $3.50 to $5. I was shouting. You ain't seen a praise until you seen a poor man win $2. When it got up to $12, I started dancing. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Speaking in tongues. I get up to $75 and I just go, I'm not going to press it. I'm going uh, to just take it home and have a nice meal. And so I got, and it, it hit me because I'm such a preacher. Maybe that's why Christianity doesn't work for a lot of people. Because we are walking, uh, tiptoeing into our faith, pressing the penny slots when God never meant for it to work. Christianity only works if you go all in. Thank you for the two claps. I appreciate it. Um, I say this because I've met, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. And I've met a lot of people who have walked away from church, but nobody who has fully experienced Jesus. Because how can you walk away from him when his eyes blaze like fire and his skin is burned like bronze and his hair like wool and the beauty of his presence? Maybe it's because you invested in church and not in God. Because you do realize you can, you can grow up in church and still not grow up in your faith. There's a lot of deacons with no prayer life. There's a lot of elders who are tithing accurately, uh, but they can't lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. They've never led anybody to Jesus. And, and many of us are in survival mode when it comes to our Christianity. So if God's not blessing us, then our whole life is distraught. But what do you do when God says, your penny lifestyle is not enough for me? I, I believe that he's a God of grace. I believe that he's a loving father. I believe that he's a forgiving God. But I also believe that he wants you to be as invested as he was. Yes. When he came to win your soul, he could have sent somebody else to do it. But divinity wrapped itself in humanity. They stretched him high and hung him wide. And he laid his head in for me and you and he died. But I like what Vicky Winan said. That's not how the story ends because three days later, God rose again. And he, I need you to understand that Jesus died to teach us how to die. This is getting kind of morbid, Pastor Dale. That's what they must have thought when Jesus was doing the first communion. And he said, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The blogs start going. I knew this was a cult. <laughs> this weird Palestinian Jew is telling us to eat him. And I just, and everybody walks away. And I love, because Jesus is a boss. He ain't nervous. He's not a people pleaser. And he could care less if you walk away. He looks at Peter after all of his followers have left. He lost his whole Instagram. He was an influencer and he lost them all because he, 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 he wanted them to eat him. And he looks at Peter and goes, you gonna leave me too? Peter's, um, Peter's dumb, but he's smart. Because you look at Peter, if you read the New Testament, Peter was always screwing up. I, as a matter of fact, I know people when they get to heaven, they want to talk to Paul and talk about theology and is it Calvinism or is it Arminianism. They want to talk with uh, John and talk about eschatology and what, what was it, post-trip, pre-trip, mid-trip. And no, when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to Peter. We made it. Can you believe us knuckleheads got to go to heaven? You were sitting here cutting off ears. I was cussing them out and we made it. Peter, Peter wasn't consistent, but he had this one thing down. Everybody gets ready to leave. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, um, what you said is a hard thing, but you speak the words of life. That's too much King James for me. What Peter is really saying is like, I have no clue what you're talking about. 
this whole eat my flesh and drink my blood stuff, that sounds kind of weird, but I do know this, every time you speak, something comes alive in me. I, I don't get the theology, and, and some of you understand this, because even coming to this church, you're starting to get the word in you, and you don't fully understand everything, you don't know what's happening, but you do know that when the presence of God comes in, and sweat starts coming down your palms, and your heart starts beating faster, life begins to resurrect, and Jesus tells them to eat my flesh and drink my blood, because he wants to know, are you all in? Are you following me because of the miracles? Are you following me because you want to partake of me. Christianity, friend, only works if you're all in. Would you make your neighbor nervous? Look at your neighbor, your better looking one, and say, neighbor, are you all in? I'm not asking you, are you all into church? I'm not asking you if you're all into signs and wonders and miracles, because there's a lot of people working in miracles who are not making it to heaven, and I've got biblical proof for you. Jesus says, many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not do signs and wonders in your name? And they're going to be turned away. Let me tell you, the conservatives aren't doing signs and wonders. That's a message to Pentecostals. You can speak in tongues and still not know him. You can lay hands and still not know him. You can preach the gospel and still not know him. Because Christianity is not for the passive. It's for the hungry. See, you can't offend me out of this gospel because I'm too hungry. I, I, listen, I may switch churches, but I'm not switching gods. Can I get somebody to talk to me? Yeah, yeah, you can't offend me. And, and oftentimes, God will allow offense to come to see if you're all in. <laughs> Let me hang out for a little bit. Jesus wouldn't dare offend us. There's a woman who has a kid who's sick. And she hears that Jesus is passing by. And so she's thinking, I'm, I'm going to see Pastor Jesus because he's healing the sick. Blind eyes are open. Deaf ears are open. The dead are being raised. He can surely do something for my daughter. So she sees Pastor Jesus. Pastor Jesus, you don't know me. I've been following your ministry online. Bless God. Um, I've got a kid who's sick at home. Would you mind uh, just doing that thing you do, the whole healing thing? And this is his response. Healing is not for the dogs. Er? Excuse me, um, did Pastor Jesus, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, metrosexual, six-pack, uh, six uh, really kind, nice uh, Jesus, never offend me, because that's the American picture of Jesus. He, he never offends. So let's make people comfortable. Let's not preach about sin, because they already know that they're sinners. No, they don't. And, uh, and Jesus offends this woman and calls her a dog. And this woman says, um, she gets creative. You want to call me a dog? That's fine. Even dogs need crumbs from the master's table. Uh, many of you who've been in my house, you told me that I do too much, and I always love to do too much. And my auntie, uh, I should say it like I'm black. I try to be conservative because we've got a multicultural trip. My aunt. Um, black people, we take syllables out of words, man. Um, my aunt taught me how to make this um, pound cake. How many of you like pound cake? Come on, don't like it too much. You'll end up looking like a pound cake. I'm a witness. Um, and so I'm doing this pound cake and I'm making it. And um, when I, if you've ever baked a pound cake, it's really sticky because it has a lot of sugar and butter if you do it right. Don't do that whole vegan pound cake mess. Just, just go ahead and die of high cholesterol and be happy. God, come on, don't, don't do that to yourself. And if you ever make a pound cake and you turn it upside down and it comes out, and I see some amens right now with the eyes. 
come on, hurry up, because I've got to get to Safeway. Uh, when you pull it out of the, the case, what ends up happening is that there are crumbs that end up, those are my favorite parts. They're a little, little crispy, a little chunky, just like me, you know? It's like, and I, and I love eating it. And here's what I found out. When I took a slice of the thing, it tasted just like the crumbs. Why? Because the same ingredients that are in the cake, that's the slow side. The same ingredients that are in the cake are also in the crumbs. What are you talking about? Many of us get offended by Jesus because he's not blessing us how we want to be blessed. But this woman says, okay, you don't want to give me the cake? You give me the blessing any way it comes. If you don't want to touch me at the altar on Sunday night, you can hit me up on Tuesday afternoon when I'm in aisle six of Safeway, and it's all right with me because I just want to be blessed. I don't care how you bless me. I don't care where you bless me. I just want to be satisfied. But many of us don't get to that place because we're so easily offended. So no wonder we're not all in. I can tell you're not all in because you're offended, easily offended. No one can correct you. No one can hold you accountable. Make sure I make eye contact with everybody because I came to fight tonight. Because the church won't be the church until we get invested all the way. This woman is so in that she even lets Jesus know there's no way that you're going to offend me around my blessing. And Jesus ends up blessing her. Because quite often, God will give you opportunities where you will struggle to ask, where's all your hope invested? The job gives you a pink slip and you lose your mind and stop following God. It's not because God's not good. It's because you had your investments in the wrong basket. Whatever can steal your joy is the area where your joy is invested. And my joy is in him. My hope is in him. Why? Because he's consistent. My paycheck is not consistent. God knows my paycheck is not consistent. But he's consistent. My relationships are not always consistent. So I can't place all of my hope there. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, trust no man. He's the only one who's completely trustworthy. So I want to ask you, when you mess up, do you run away from him or to him? Because that'll show you where you're invested. When people hurt your feelings in the church and you decide not just to go to a different church, you're just going to leave church and God all together. Maybe it's because your, your investment was in community and not in God. And I'm not saying that you're not supposed to care about community, but the priority is God. As a matter of fact, I, I had a bunch of disciples and they were looking for uh, new churches when I was a youth pastor as they went off to college. And they were saying, man, I just want to find a place with good community. I said, you can go to the YMCA for that. I'm a, some of y'all just mess up all your theology tonight. Just, I just want to find a good community. And when we say that, it, what we really mean is I just want to find a place where people baby me and just make me feel really, really comfortable and I don't have to reach out or be vulnerable to connect with people. They just yank me in it. That's exactly what I want. And, but what is it to gain a community and not have the presence? When I tell my disciples, I say, well, you're going after because your investment is not solely in community. Your investment is in God. And what is it to go to a church that, that, that has great community, but the word isn't being preached? The spirit isn't being moved. People aren't being saved. God, maybe, maybe Christians aren't all in because we got pastors like myself who aren't all in. And maybe we can't preach a message about being all in because there'll be too much conviction on the pulpit. Let me look at my notes. If they don't say amen, move on. Okay. Um, we come to Luke chapter 18. And um, Jesus has these 12 disciples. One of them is Judas. That's encouraging to me. 
because Jesus is a perfect leader and he still had to screw up. I want to talk to leaders for a second. Stop blaming yourself for other people's flaws. Even parents, your kids might go astray. That's not necessarily your fault. Stop beating yourself up. God was the perfect father and Adam and Eve screwed up. (laughs) I hear the parents saying, amen. (laughs) Rebellious children. There are 12 disciples and even one of them is Judas. And Jesus is walking around with them and they're doing life together because that's what real Christianity is. Real Christianity isn't Sunday night. This is, not, this is a part of it. But if you really want to do Christianity, walk with your pastor a little bit. Come to small groups sometimes. I'm just so tired. Get, shut up. We're done with the excuses because you weren't too tired to get up for work on Monday. As a matter of fact, you were tired and still went because you thought the investment would be worth it. Jesus is doing life with the disciples, these 12 men, and they, they get to this place where this guy shows up, and the Bible in Luke chapter 18 calls him a rich young ruler. Luke lets us know that he's a ruler, which means he has authority. He's got a lot of money, and we're going to find out that he's really not a rich young ruler. He's a poor young slave because he doesn't have stuff. His stuff has him. Jesus doesn't have a problem with you having a lot of money. We need rich people because I'm tired of Beyonce having the better concerts than Maverick City. And Maverick City concerts are awesome. We, we need, we, God's not against you having education because God knows we have enough dumb Christians. We need a few smart ones. Don't, don't look, look at your neighbor. Just look straight ahead. <laughs> Saw somebody nudge their husband. Just right here, right here. Um, Jesus is not against you having stuff. He wants to make sure that stuff doesn't have you, that you don't have your priorities mixed up. He doesn't mind you having a girlfriend. He doesn't mind you having a boyfriend. He just wants to make sure that he's first in your life. And so this rich young ruler that I'll call a poor young slave hears about Jesus in the ministry and he decides he wants to sign up to follow Jesus. So he approaches Jesus and I want us to look at the scriptures here in Luke chapter 18 verse 18. It says, now a certain ruler asked Jesus saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? In verse 19, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Let me stop here for a moment. This young man comes and he's already messed up because he has a wrong perspective of who Jesus is. He calls Jesus a good teacher. And I want to present to you that though you may not use that language, many of us in here view Jesus in the same light. We don't see him as master, ruler, God, and the ordained one over our life. He's just a nice person to learn from. It's a nice set of morality to live by. It's so quiet in this Baptist church, but I brought my own help and my own amens. I'm going to do fine by myself tonight. He, he has a wrong perspective of Jesus, and he's putting Jesus on the same level as all of the other rabbis, not knowing that Jesus is God. And I wonder how many of us sitting in this room have not seen really God as God. We just see him as a nice guide to our moral life. And our Christianity isn't supernatural. It's just a behavioral modification. And we get caught up in what we do and what we don't do. So, so um, good teacher, and Jesus stops because he's a boss and he don't care what you think. He says, uh, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, and that's God. Is Jesus in this moment denying that he's good? No, he's presenting something. He's saying, God is the only one who's good, so are you considering me God or no? That's what Jesus is saying there. 
He's, he's not, yeah, it's a setup. It, he's, not saying, he's not saying I'm not good. He's saying, um, do you realize the admission that you're making by calling me good? And you notice Jesus never even addresses the whole teacher aspect. But he says to him, um, why do you call me good? There's only one. Jesus is presenting to him, are you calling me God or not? Let's look at the next verse. You know the commandments, do not commit, uh, do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And I love this response from Jesus because Jesus is toying with him a little bit because you and I both know that salvation is not based on what you do or who you do. Uh, can I, let me, let me hone in on that for a moment because many of us, we believe that our salvation is fragile. The Bible says your salvation is not fragile. It says who can pluck you out of the hand of God? But here's what we think. We think that our Christianity and our faith, our salvation is based on our good works. And so as long as we don't look at porn, as long as we don't get drunk, as long as we don't have sex, as long as we don't deal drugs, as long as we don't steal or murder, then we're good. But you can be more, there are, there are people in the world who are going straight to hell who are more moral than you and I. Morality is not salvation. What's salvation? Faith in Christ. Well, what about my behavior? Here's the good thing about Jesus. He's great at catching fish. But he's also really good at cleaning them. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good word, Pastor Dell. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Um, and so Jesus is kind of hanging with him a little bit, almost like Jesus would do in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Where's your husband? Jesus already knows. She hasn't had five, and the one she's with won't do her the decency of marrying her. So Jesus kind of toys with this guy and says, um, okay. Well, since you uh, think it's all about behavior, you know those whole uh, commandment thing, the whole top 10, you done all those? And this man, uh, remember that lying is actually part of the, you can't do that? And this is his response. Oh, I've kept all those since my youth. I'm gonna talk to all the people who pretend to not be a sinner. Now my main identity is not as a sinner because he's made me a saint. I recently heard that my identity is not as a sinner, but as a saint. Thank you. Y'all doing better now. Um, and, and so, but I have to recognize that I am broken. But here's the problem of why we can't get healed, because we won't be honest. And honesty is the currency of healing. If you're taking notes, I dare you to write that down. Honesty is the currency of healing. And until you can admit that you have messed up, that you are jacked up, you can never be healed. Do you know how hard it is to do counseling sessions with stubborn people who are full of pride and refuse to admit? Because I, listen, I have, I have watched demons come out of people, but stupid is hard to deliver from. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, this is my first and last time visiting. It's okay, I can give you a list of churches that are a little bit more gentle, find less. Um, Jesus gives him a list of these commandments. And let me stop for a moment because the commandments are not irrelevant. But let me tell you the purpose of the commandments because Jesus comes in the New Testament and what does he say? He says, I, can I teach you really good tonight? Is that all right? Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to get rid of it. As a matter of fact, I came to fulfill it because the part that was missing was grace and I am grace humanized divin uh, uh, in divinity. I am grace. And, and here's what the law does. Here's why Jesus is even presenting the law. Because the law points to you how much you've fallen short and how impossible it is to be right. 
I don't remember exactly how many laws between the ceremonial laws. It's over 300 of them. And you go, what? What is it? It's over 600 of these different laws. And you're going, why? Because Jesus knows the New Testament is about to show up. And salvation matters because according to these plus 600 laws, you will never be perfect. You will Okay, you think you're perfect? Just, we don't even, let's not do the 600. Let's just do the top 10. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Have you gossiped about them? Because the scripture says that's murder. Oh, I've never committed adultery. I know, but you look at porn, www.shouldn'tbehere.com. And according to scripture, it's looking upon a woman lustfully. It's just the same as having sex with some. It's so quiet in here. And, and here's why Jesus is presenting to him the law. Because he's getting ready to set him up to let him know no matter how well you behave, even on your best day, your righteousness is like filthy rags. As a matter of fact, your righteousness is like filthy rags, which is why Jesus had to come, because your righteousness would never be good enough. So what does Jesus say? I am, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not righteous on your own. You're righteous not because of what? I feel like running out the door. You're not righteous because of what you've done. You're righteous because of what he did. So when you mess up and you fall short, you can bet believe that his work is strong enough. So have you kept the commandments? You haven't ever lied? And what's the next verse? From all these commandments I've been keeping since I was in youth group. Because I was on the worship team. I was one of the youth leaders. I led small group. I've been living right all of my days. Liar! This is why I find judgment so funny. Because judgmental people forget to judge themselves. Yeah, they were looking at me angry, so I ran back over here. Um, They used to tell me back in elementary school, when you point a finger, there's three pointing back at you. The scripture says, why are you worried about the splinter in their eye when you've got a log in yours? See, the log in my eye keeps me humble. As a matter of fact, the log in my eye, I see my log before I see you. It's so funny because people will tell me, Pastor Doc, I'm so scared of you. (laughs) Stay that way. (laughs) Just kidding. And uh, when people mess up, you know, they hate to talk to their pastor about it. And people will come and say, Pastor Doc, I'm so scared. And then we'll have meetings and we'll have reconciliation. We'll talk about whatever it is. They'll be like, oh, that was was like, that was way different. I I thought I was going to get slammed. You know why I treat people differently who fall? One, because the scripture says, when somebody falls, let those who are spiritual restore them gently. So if I'm spiritual, I'm going to learn how to restore people gently. I don't need to condemn you. That's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But you know what really keeps me humble, Kevin? What really keeps me humble is that before I can see your mess up, I got to look at my log. Before I talk about how messed up you are, I got to remember that there are some struggles that I've got that you ain't going to know nothing about because they ain't none of your business. Uh, but I got some stuff. I got some logs in my eyes. So before I see you, I see my own sin. And my sin is not who I am. It's not my identity. But it is a reminder to be humble. It's like what Paul said. I've got this thing in my side that buffets me. And God gave it. God, God gave it to me. This ain't from Satan. This ain't spiritual warfare. God put this thing on me. He could have created you perfect, but he decided not to. Because in your brokenness, you're going to have to lean and depend on him. So you followed all the law, huh? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, since I was in youth group, I've been good. Okay, watch what Jesus does. <clears throat> Verse 22. So when Jesus heard him lie, 
He said to him, okay, I ain't even going to confront that. I'm not going to deal with the fact that you're trying to pretend like you got it all together. Let's just go straight to the heart of the matter. Um, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus, stop for a second because you said um, you still lack one thing and I know you want to deal with his stuff because this man is getting ready to follow Jesus. The problem is he's got a cart of stuff that he wants to bring with him as he follows Jesus and Jesus says you've got this one thing. In reality, he's got a whole lot of many things. But can I, can I tell you a truth? Your many things are all wrapped into one thing. You're broken. I know that hurts your feelings. You talk about it in therapy. You're jacked up. You're not perfect. And the truth is you won't be until you see the perfect one face to face. But the good news of the gospel is that he never required you to be perfect. He required you to be blameless. And that requirement doesn't even have anything to do with you. The only thing you and I have to do is just surrender. And it can't be that easy, Pastor Dell. You mean when I mess up or if I'm a sinner, all I have to do is just accept him as my Lord and Savior, just put my faith in him? Don't I have to do something? Not according to Scripture. According to Scripture, the only thing that you have to do to have eternal salvation is take your faith out of this world, out of temporal things, and put it in an eternal thing named Jesus, salvation. That is salvation. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. But here's the problem. We put a little bit of faith in Jesus, a little bit of faith in our marriage, a whole bunch of faith in our Bitcoin. And Jesus says, I am not um, a little prostitute that you can tithe to in hopes that I will do what you want me to do. I require all of you. And the scary thing about the American church is that we keep preaching to you that Jesus doesn't want all your stuff. Jesus doesn't want your money. Yes, he does. He doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't want your house. Yeah, he does. Jesus doesn't want your marriage. He wants absolutely everything you got because he wants you. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Jesus says, you lack this one thing because you want to follow me, but you got too much stuff. But come as you are. Yeah, but don't stay as you are. They told me to come as I am. Absolutely. But five years from now, you ought to be different. The Spirit of God ought to have transformed you. You ought to be able to say what we said growing up in the hood. Baby, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Okay, y'all don't want to give y'all testimony, so I'll give mine. I ain't perfected. I've got some anger issues, but I thank God I don't cuss them out like I used to. I thank God I ain't trying to throw hammers at people like, y'all don't want to hear pastor's real testimony. I thank God that I may not be all of who I'm supposed to be, but look at how far I've come. I need somebody to learn how to give themselves grace. Stop beating yourself up for where you lack. Stop beating yourself up for where you've messed up. David said this, all the days of my life I've been walking and when I look behind me I've got two stalkers, one on my left side named Grace and the other one on my right side named Mercy. And every time I look back at what I've been through, all the stuff that I did, all the people that I did, the first thing I see before I see my mess up is the lens of Grace and Mercy. I'm not where I'm supposed to, but I appreciate the fact that I am where I am by the grace of God. Somebody give God 10 seconds of praise for grace. Oh, you're patty caking. I said, thank God for grace. 
You lack this one thing. Take all your stuff that you've been investing in for years. And once you sell it all and give it to the poor. I did a quick study, so I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. But I can't find anywhere in the New Testament where anyone got to follow Jesus and not give up everything. Peter sees Jesus and gives up his business and leaves his family for three years to follow a Palestinian Jew and he doesn't even know where they're going. What was so attractive about Jesus that would make a man stop being CEO so that he could be a servant to the king of kings? There must have been something so attractive about Jesus to make him want to leave his family for a moment. He, he's going to come back to them. Uh, but to leave him for a moment to learn from this guy who speaks this life. What was so attractive? And I want to ask you the, se- the, the same thing. When's the last time you saw him? When's the last time you spent time with him? I know you're tired. I know you're depressed. I know you're busy with work. But when's the last time you didn't just fit him into your schedule, but you push your schedule aside to be reminded of how beautiful he is? For some of us, our Christianity has gotten stale. And so we come to worship, and if they're not singing our song, we're not going to sing. If the Spirit's not going to move, see, that's the immature believer. Oh, the Spirit's not moving. The mature believer says, I'll move the Spirit. Do you say all that stuff that you have? I want you to sell it. I want you to give it away to the poor. Because I got something so much more attractive. We think that the world doesn't want Jesus. I want to give you some bad news to your bad theology. The scriptures calls Jesus many names, but one of the names that he's called is the desire of the nations. See, everybody wants Jesus. The problem is that we want Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, the reason why maybe the world can't see Jesus is because you won't die. One of these days, I'm going to get real morbid, bring a casket in here, and just ask everybody to die. <laughs> now, I don't mean literally, so please, I mean, if you write your blogs, I've already been canceled, so we're good. Um, but, but hear me out. Christianity doesn't start until you die. I'm not talking about physically or literally. I'm talking about spiritually. Until you die to your own desires, to your own flesh, to your own stuff, to your own offense— this generation is so offended. I'm so offended by everything. I'm just entitled and everything offends me. Worship was too long and we started too late and, and service was too long and pastor was kind of mean. He's cute, but he's kind of mean and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just so offended. And, and uh, how dare you ask me to usher twice a month? How dare you ask me to give up my time? How dare you ask me personal questions? Just so offended because you're not dead yet. Can't tell me what to do. I'm my own person. Yeah, you're not dead yet. Yeah, it's real quiet, and I came to preach tough tonight because we already took the offering, so I feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, many of us, the reason maybe we can't grow is because we won't die. As a matter of fact, maybe you're not alive because you won't die. We want resurrection power, but resurrection only happens for those who have died. Okay, that wasn't that deep. I need you to catch this. You don't have resurrection unless you have a death. So the question is, when's the last time you died? Because this thing has to happen often. You don't believe me? Try pastoring. I know y'all think that Monday through Friday I walk on cloud nine speaking in tongues, but let me tell you, pastoring in 2022 in a pandemic in America, keep me near the cross, Jesus. Because there are some times I want to speak in tongues that you need no interpretation for. (laughs) I'll let you figure that one out. 
But I constantly, daily have to come before the Lord and say, kill my flesh before I kill them. Lord, kill my flesh before I damage my children. Kill my flesh before I hurt my relationships. Kill my flesh before I destroy that which you've blessed me with. It's a daily thing of dying. Because this flesh, it wants to resurrect all the time. I tell people that old me, he ain't dead. He's just sleeping. Please don't talk too loud. Every now and then I have to just say, Lord, I put him on the cross one more time. See, the problem with us, some of us get on the cross with Velcro. And we just, as soon as we don't want to walk in the spirit or as soon as it gets hard, we just jump off. Oh yeah, I love Jesus with all my heart. Can you start tithing? (laughs) My money. On the cross, loving Jesus. Hey, would you mind serving once or twice a minute? I don't even like what time we meet. I'm, I'm dead to Christ. I'm dead to Christ. Hey, the way you talk to that person, you need to go apologize. They just need to get over it. How many of you, don't answer because I don't want you to embarrass yourself, but how many of you have gotten on the cross with Velcro? And as soon as things don't work out, you're done. Because really, you're not invested all in. So Jesus says, you want to follow me? Can you take this for me, Pastor Andrew? Would you help him kind of take this pulpit? Because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, um, the only way this thing works, if you want to follow me, the stuff that's been following you has to go. Let's hurt some feelings tonight. Kevin, I hope you come back again. I promise I'm more encouraging on other Sundays. Because here's what Jesus says. He says, "Uh, Del, you're so broken. You're so beat up. You're such a sinner. I tell people often that Jesus picked me because none of the other gods want me. (laughs) Buddha and Satan were like, you can have this one. (laughs) We're we're good. I was a good sinner too. I was such a good sinner that when I got saved, the devil sent out a group text to all of his demons and said, boys, we lost a good one today. (laughs) I heard somebody, one of the old church mothers one time, get up on the pulpit and she said, man, I lived a miserable life of sin. And I thought, you must have did it wrong. (laughs) Because listen, I, I had a wonderful life of sin all day and all night. And um, so here's, here's how it works. You come to a service like this, you hear some crazy message, and Jesus invites you to follow him. But here's what we do. Okay, one, one second, Jesus. Oh, I'm so excited. This is, because I, I heard about the woman with the issue of blood, and her, her blood dried up in a moment. I want to follow this man. This is awesome. And, um, oh, the whole Lazarus still. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees are still mad at him because he raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't, heck yeah. But get, no, hold on, hold on. No, no, don't leave me. I got, just give me a second. This is so cool. My friend said he wouldn't want me, but look at me. He want me. Because, you know, Jesus takes anybody. If you don't believe me, look at your neighbor real quick. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Go ahead. Look at him. Just tell him. Say, neighbor, he takes everybody. No, it's going to be, okay. No, yeah. I'm just get comfortable real quick. Because, oh, I'm ready. Praise God. Bless the Lord. Oh, no, hold on. No, come on, wait a minute. Gucci. So cool. Now about to have me out here looking like Peter. My haircut. I don't care what they say, John. All right, Jesus. Here we go. Um, oh, no, give me a second. I know I got a lot of stuff. It's going to be all right. I've been traveling with this stuff for a long time, all my life. Been building it. I'm ready. 
Why is everybody looking at me? What'd you say, John? Say it again. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay. I can't. Oh, no, one second. Hold on. Because um, it might get a little boring sometimes. And so I've um, got to make sure I have my playlist. Come on, Enneagram 4s. We can't, can't go anywhere unless we've got the playlist down. Because, uh, ah, no, we need a sound check, Jesus. I got you. I'm ready. Uh, let's go. What, what, do you, what do you mean I got to take off the glasses? No, God. I need these, Jesus. Look, do you know how much these cost? These are Gucci. And if you make me take off my glasses, it'll force me to see differently. And I like looking through the world through a dim lens. Pessimistic, sarcastic, cynical, believing the world hates me. I'm, don't. She's got my nerves. They told me he does stuff like this. It's all right. I'm aware I'm winning, not looking. Bright as it is, guys, in Israel with no sunglasses. Or better not say nothing too loud because I heard he, he'd be hearing people's thoughts. So, I'm good. I'm good. Kidding me, Jesus. Give me a break. It keeps me comfortable. What do you mean this is not about to be a comfortable ride? I won't be a Christian if it's going to make me uncomfortable. You're going to send a comforter? I got my own. It's not good enough. I'm going to go through some things that a pink pillowcase can't bring me through. The, the things that I find comfort in won't help me in my discomfort in life. So you're telling me to give up my comfort zone before? It was on sale, too. So cute. My AirPods make me sick. Okay, here's the deal, Jesus. This was a gift. I didn't even buy this jacket. What do you mean? Clothes in the scriptures represent identity, so you want to give me... Is it this cute? It's not as cute? You want me to wear a cross? But what... Okay. They told me this was going to be hard and that he was different. I didn't think it was this difficult. Did, uh, can y'all take this to the cleaners for me? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Come on, Jesus. If I don't have my career, what do I have? You want me to drop out of school so I can be a missionary? Do you know my parents will kill me? But No, it's not a God per se. But I don't want to give it up. To, but I've got to be willing to give up even my purposes and my plans. It's real quiet tonight. Okay. Okay. I'll go. Maybe if I don't give him eye contact. I just won't look at him. Because um, that's what we do in church. When Jesus starts requiring more, I'm just going to distract myself and maybe he won't see me. Oh, so I'm going to just go to a small group. I'm not going to tell anybody about what I'm going through and all the baggage that I'm carrying. I'm just, I looked at him. God, I, I want to follow you and everything, but I, I can't give this one up. She's cute. No, no, she's not like, but she goes to church at least. 
You don't understand, Jesus. I don't think you get. I've been waiting for so long, and this one cooks. This one actually cooks, Lord. And you know how long I've been waiting for a cute girl like this? I haven't been waiting on you. This, she's even got, Lord. Okay, I really want to follow you. All right, bye. It's not you. It's me. No, no. It's him. And that's what y'all need to start doing. I'm not doing this because of me. I'm doing it because of him. This ain't about you and I, boo-boo. I just got a bigger destiny than this compromising relationship. (laughs) I knew that part wasn't going to go really well. But at least I got my play. Oh, come on! I can't just listen to dirty music. I can't just watch the first two seasons of Game of Thrones and all the frontal nudity and not feel convicted? You're telling me that I can't decide what I put in my own body? Hearing comes by the word. Okay. All right. Do I really want to do this? Because I've already given up so much, but I'm still not all in. Lord, I have given up some stuff because that's, I hear you, I hear you. You're saying, Pastor Dell, I may not be all in, but I've given up a lot to follow him. I, I really have, I know, but he doesn't want most. <laughs> okay, 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 here we go, here we go, yeah. Because, you know, he let Peter keep the nets. He gets to keep the fishing nets, but I don't get to keep the Oh, come on, Jesus. This one has wheels. Because I got to stay mobile. I can't stay in one place too long. Because uh, they might start figuring me out. That's why I go from church to church. From relationship to relationship. I got to stay mobile. Uh, no, can't nobody hold me down. Pastor, you're asking me to submit? <laughs> Spiritual submission. Get out of here. I'm free. You, you tell me I can't wear certain things because it, it just, it's distracting for the sisters in Christ. It's distracting for the brothers in Christ. You mean I can't just wear my gray sweatpants everywhere and make sure they know what I got? It's real quiet. Because this generation doesn't like restrictions. We don't understand that God's guidance is freedom. And, and here's the problem. Many of us are following Jesus with wheels on. What do you mean, Pastor Dell? We cannot be held down. We're not stable. We won't be consistent. And anytime somebody tries to pressure us into vulnerability, we run. Here's the problem. Your baggage has a passport too. And everywhere you go, until you deal with the baggage, the baggage is going with you. So you want to follow Jesus? <laughs> you, you, you really want to follow Jesus? All that stuff that you've been bringing? And choosing not to give up, choosing not to share, choosing not to be accountable in. You're going to have to tell you what my grandmother said because she was rude. Sit down somewhere. Look at me in my good eye. That's this one. Some of you have been running faster than God's called you to run. And you're not tired because of a lack of sleep. You're tired because of a lack of obedience. Your body's not tired. I know it feels like it. Your soul is. Because your soul is tired of running. (laughs) I've watched people come to this church and I say, how'd you come to this church? I just got tired of running. 
I was listening to some of your messages and I was trying to pretend like they weren't speaking to my heart. I was trying to pretend like it was for my neighbor. But the truth is I had to, I had to take all the stuff that was keeping me running from Jesus and I had to let go. And here Jesus says, um, now that you've gotten rid of all your stuff, now you're ready to follow me. But God, that was my armor. That's what I hid behind when times got rough. It was my job. I I became a workaholic so I I wouldn't have to sit in silence anymore. And here you are telling me that you're going to be more than enough for me. God, I, I've never been, I haven't been single for more than two years in a long time because I'm, I'm, as a matter of fact, I, the reason I'm dating is because I don't know who I am, so I'm hoping that I can date somebody who can tell me who I am. So, so if you tell me to let go of all this stuff in terms of following you, what am I going to hide behind? I got you. Proverbs says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run therein, and that's where they are safe. Jesus is getting rid of your baggage so that he can give you a crown. Jesus is getting rid of the stuff that you hide behind so that you realize that he is not enough. He is more than enough. Because every other thing will never satisfy It'll satisfy for a little bit. Get ready to clench your butt because it make you uncomfortable. Because uh, I, I don't want to lie to you. Sex is awesome. How you doing, sweetheart? Give me a second. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of liars in here. Pretend like you're a virgin. Jesus. Um, sex is awesome. If you do it the right way. And I'm not talking about positions. (laughs) I'm talking about one man, one woman in marriage. But here's the problem. A lot of us hide behind lust because we're not willing to take a risk for love. You do realize that lust is the cheap form of love. When I was young, um, we were poor, Kevin. Uh, Some things don't change. (laughs) Um, Not poor, because we couldn't afford the OR. Um, We were poor. And so, you know, those of y'all who grew up in the hood like I did, we were in the hood but not of the hood. Um, We would go to the Safeway and see, y'all don't know what I'm talking about because y'all get to pick all the cereal that's on eye level. Corn flakes, frosted flakes, Cheerios. You know what I got? Flaky Frosties. (laughs) No cinnamon toast crunch, crunchy cinnamon. And it didn't come in a box. It came in a bag. I got a witness. It can't. And you, didn't ha- you couldn't have a bad back because you had to bend over to get it. Come on, somebody knows what I'm talking about. And y'all got cute little EBT cards now. We used to have Monopoly money called food stamps. And, uh, you know, if you were a kid, you try to give it to them quick. And like, here, don't show nobody. My grandmother had no shame. She was like, no, that's, that's the food stamps. <laughs> and here's what I found. Hey, you know, I used to eat these, like, knockoff cereals and they're cool but they really don't taste like the real deal they they're always a little stale even before you open it yes i got a witness in the room tonight um and that's what lust is so no wonder you keep going from man to man woman to woman man to woman to man back to women because instead of letting go of the false realities and choosing to accept Jesus, you're hiding behind your armor of lust. And when Jesus starts putting his finger on it, 
Okay, that's not your struggle. Let's talk about your job. No, no, no. I'm, Pastor, I got to have this job because this is how I'm going to bless the church. God doesn't need your blessing. Have you, have you met him? <laughs> He's blessed and highly favored. Um, yeah, yeah, but I prayed for this job. How come you're not praying anymore? <laughs> you, you got the job. <laughs> and now the very job that you prayed for is the thing that's keeping you away from prayer. And you want to say that it's a blessing? According to scripture, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and adds no sorrow. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I see you. Okay. Pastor Dell, that's not my struggle. I, I, I don't even like my job. Amen. Hate my boss. Don't say amen like you have a job, Kelly. <laughs> you have income, but you don't work. Drug cartel. But, but see, see, some of you are saying, Pastor Dell, I'm still in the V club. I don't, I don't have sex. I'm not addicted. I don't do none of that stuff. I, um, can we talk about how you idolize relationships? So your whole investment, all of your life is about your friendships. And if they don't love you, then your whole life is miserable. And, and you can't follow Jesus unless your friends decide to follow him with you. So God's been knocking on your heart to join core team, but you won't join core team because your boy won't join core team. Some of you in January, God was pricking your heart to come to morning prayer, but your little accountability partner didn't want to come for morning prayer. And, and the only time you follow Jesus are when the idols of your relationships will choose to go with you. And here's what Jesus is saying. I need you to take everything that you hide behind. And I need you to put up. And, and I'm almost done. Um, worship team, help me. Here's the deal. At the end of this text, the Bible says that the man in rejecting Christ, because he doesn't give up his stuff. Here's what the scripture says. He walks away sad. Because joy is only found, found in following him. Can I present to you a thought? I, I believe that sometimes depression is a chemical imbalance. I believe sometimes anxiety has to do with phys uh, physical or, or emotional hurt and trauma that needs to be overcome. But I, I just believe that a lot of people in this generation are depressed and anxious. Not because they need more medication. And no shame if you need it. But because they need more obedience. They need to be willing to sacrifice not just some of their stuff, but all of their stuff because the stuff that you're holding on to is the source of your anxiety. And so you're sitting here and all you can think about is I'm dating this girl, but she's going to leave me. She's going to leave me. And I'm just so anxious and full of worry. Maybe God's calling you to lay her down for a moment. God would never call me to lay anything down, Pastor Dell. He wouldn't call me to lay down my job. Uh, okay. Sit there for a second as we're in the courtroom of heaven. Come here, Brother Abraham, and I need you as a witness. Would you get into the sand for a moment and talk about how your family was barren for 90 years and, G and God came and promised you a son named Isaac? You remember this story? God says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations and your children will be like the sand on the seashore. They're going to be like the stars in the sky. And then Isaac is born. Isaac turns about 15, 16. Most theologians believe, and God says to Abraham, I want you to take him up to a mountain, and I want you to kill him. Wait a minute, Lord. You want me to kill, hold, hold on on the drums. You want me to kill the very thing. You want me to kill the very thing you blessed me with. Yeah, yeah, because I want to make sure that the stuff I give you ain't got you. So go up there and kill it. Kill him. You, you want me to lay down this relationship because it causes me to compromise? 
You want me to work less hours so that I can invest more in outreach? You want me to stop going on so many vacations and actually sit down and get discipled? You want me to die to myself? See, whenever I preach Abraham and Isaac in this whole moment, because you know the story, Abraham takes Isaac up to the mountaintop and he lays him down. And he lifts up the dagger and he's getting ready to kill him. And I've heard preachers preach, oh, he just knew that God was going to bring a ram in the bush. No, he didn't. Abraham had never went to Bible college. He didn't have the Old Testament. He didn't know how the story was going to end. He knew this one thing, that God told him to kill Isaac. So he gets up there and gets ready to kill. And I made a mistake. Because I, um, my whole life preached that Abraham is the main character here. And he's really the one sacrificing. But at this time, Abraham's about 115 years old. Isaac's about 15 years old. There's no way that Abraham's going to pin Isaac down. Because the Bible says that Isaac is tied up, that they wrapped him up so that he could get ready to be sacrificed. The truth is that Isaac had to lay down. So really, I want to give props not to Abraham, but to Isaac. It's like what Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. Isaac is a picture of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look laid down, I'm surrendered, and somebody just keeps stabbing me. <laughs> I know that's weird. But anybody who's ever lived right, you just get stabbed by the Holy Spirit constantly. You say something the wrong way, and you get back into prayer, and God's like, go apologize. <sighs> you look at the wrong website, and God says, I want you to go find somebody to confess to. <sighs> This thing is constantly about dying daily so that we can follow, follow after Christ. And finally, Luke lets us know the end part of the story goes like this. They look at Jesus and say, what you're asking of me is a hard thing. And Jesus says, it's, it's, it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. All the rich people don't get nervous. Wait for me. It's impossible. As a matter of fact, here's what the scripture says. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. I was sitting in a class one time and somebody was teaching on this text and they said back in this time, there would be a door to the city and in the door to the city, there would be a small box at the bottom of the door, an opening called a needle. And camels would carry the baggage of their masters. When they would get to the city door, in order to pass through, they would have to take off their baggage so that the camel could bow down and humbly spit its way through the hole. And we amened, we shouted, because man, we need to be humble, take off our baggage, lower ourselves. Except for that's not the needle that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus because Luke uses a specific word in the Greek for needle. It's actually the surgeon's needle. Think about a sewing kit needle. And imagine a camel going through the eye of that needle. So they look at him and say, how can anybody be saved? And Jesus goes, exactly. See, we like the first needle. Because that's still based on our works. And us, and us humbling ourselves and us sliding through the door and it's all on us as long as we do our part your works will never be good enough it's impossible for man but Jesus finishes his head but with God all things 
are possible. And here's what I came to tell you. Some of you have been doing your Christianity wrong because it's not been empowered by the moving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You've been trying to be a Christian instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to be a Christian through you. This thing doesn't work with you trying and mustering up more ways to live holy or live righteous. It only works if you take on his righteousness. There's nothing you and I could do. There's no amount of money that you can give, not a check big enough for you to be saved. The only way that you get saved is you allow Jesus to save you. And watch this. The only way you stay saved is that you allow the Holy Spirit to keep moving through you. But how can the Holy Spirit move through you if you won't be still enough to allow him to take off all the things that you've been hiding behind. Would you stand with me tonight? Somebody's watching online, somebody's in this room. And you're saying, Pastor Dell, you don't know the baggage I'm carrying. I got some junk with me that I ain't never told nobody about. Here's the good news. Nothing scares him. He's not Jehovah surprised. As a matter of fact, he already knows. Can I, can I give you good news? He knew that you would mess up before he picked you. Got to meet my boy Kevin here in front and he's a friend of John and they work together. They're both employers, but every employer knows that when you hire somebody, you want to look at their resume, see what they've got, how many words per minute they type, what they've done. But Kevin, I don't know if you can relate to this. I employ people. Nobody ever tells the complete truth on their resume, <laughs> especially Americans. Like we were an intern at 19 and we're talking about we were part of the founding company to help structure the thing. It's like, bro, you got everybody coffee. Calm down. Because the truth is, if we told the full truth on our resume, many of us are afraid that we wouldn't get the job. Nobody ever puts on their resume, I'm going to be late 60% of the time to work. <laughs> As a matter of fact, at my last company, over a period of a year and a half, I, I stole about 300 of their pins. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be deceitful. I'm going to create dissension. Nobody puts that on their resume because any good employer would never pick them. But here's the good news of the gospel. God saw your resume before it was even written. And he saw screw up, jacked up, messed up. I'll take that one. <laughs> Got anger issues, mean a little bit. I'll take that one. Addicted to pornography, alcoholic. I'll take that one. And the only thing he needs from you and I is surrender. Keep standing for two more minutes. I want to end with this story. When I was 17 years old in December of 2003, the Lord spoke to me. I was in a private high school, one of the most expensive in San Francisco with a full academic scholarship in AP studies, had an honor roll, was going to graduate on my way to a wonderful school with a full academic scholarship for college. And I was going to be a business person and I was going to be that person who doesn't go do missions, but I send people to missions. I'm going to die on somebody's church board and just bless people. And God spoke to me in December of 2003 and he said, I want you to go into full-time ministry with the San Francisco rescue, <laughs> rescue Mission and I want you to go serve the poor. So I said, um, come here, Lord. <laughs> I think you forgot about my grandmother 
And um, she's the one who raised me. And if I tell her the first black man in our family to go to college is gonna not accept the invitation and the full academic scholarship to the really good school on the East Coast, she's gonna kill me. And like a whisper in the next breath, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'll kill you, make another one like you to take your place. Said, oh, loud and clear. Some words you don't need confirmation for, you just follow. For two years, my grandmother disowned me, told me not to come to the house. When Thanksgiving and Christmas would come, she told them that I was Jehovah's Witness and a part of Cole. Went, wouldn't pick up any phone calls and told the rest of my family, you better not give them any money, and they weren't allowed to talk to me. And for two years, I took a $500 credit card and maxed it out on stuff like toothbrush and toothpaste because I had no financial support. On top of that, the church that I grew up in my whole life told me, you're full of yourself and nobody's ever going to want to come and hear you preach because you're not educated and, and you, you're just rebellious and you just want the spotlight. Call yourself going into ministry. And they disowned me for 10 years. I remember one day being in my car and I had this 1989 Acura and I hated this Acura because I couldn't hear the radio because of how loud the, the windshield wipers and, and, and the uh, engine were. And it was raining and I could barely see and I have tears coming down my eyes because I'm thinking all I'm doing is cleaning toilets and this isn't what you promised me and I thought that this would be easier and nobody's supporting me and I feel like I'm doing this all alone. And I heard God in the whisper of the rain say, friend, you're not alone. But I want to make this promise to you, Dale, that if you take care of my business, trust I'm going to take care of yours. And so I went back to those toilets and I started wiping those toilets and cleaning them and ministering to them like they were, pool, uh, uh, like they were pool pits. I started a program for, for Spanish-speaking children where we were tutoring them, grew a children's ministry, stopped forgetting about all the sacrifice because I started realizing the joy of what God gave me instead was so much worth giving up what I gave up. Did my heart break because my family wouldn't talk to me? Absolutely. Did my heart hurt? And Did I feel humiliated when they told me no one would want to hear me preach because I was uneducated? Absolutely. But I decided to trust him. Two years later, my grandmother gives me a call and says, hey boy, that's not what she said. She called me the N-word, but I can't say that because we're multicultural. She's an old black woman. She gets to say that. Um, she says, hey boy, somebody gave me one of your tapes, your preaching tapes. A college student's tapes are, um, okay. <laughs> and she said, come over for Christmas. And I go over for Christmas, Nate, and she's just all smiles, hasn't talked to me for two years. She said, oh, this is my boy. He called himself a preacher out there preaching. Oh, gospel, oh, church person. I remember when he was seven years old, he used to come on Sunday and pray early and look at what God's done. Like, as if there was never any break in our relationship, because if you take care of my business, Many of you know that before we were a church, we were a ministry that did conferences. In 10 years, I was 28 years old, I get a phone call from my pastor that grew up with who told me, sitting in his office, I asked him to disciple me. And Maya, he told me, I'll never disciple you. I'm not walking you hand in hand in your relationship with God. Broke my heart. He calls me, Kevin, 10 years later and says, you know those conferences, I've been hearing about them. I hear they're blowing up. Would you come and do one at our church? They wouldn't, Gina, they wouldn't even let me lay hands when I went to the church. And now I get the whole church in the pulpit? Absolutely. I said, let's go. We had a conference there in 2013, so packed. People were in the choir stands all over the ground, and everybody else was worshiping. And I just stood back, and I said, he really is worth it. It was hard. It was rough. And there were some days like David, my 
tears had become my food. But oh, so why are you discouraged? Hope in God. Some of you are saying, I'm scared to give up some stuff that God's convicted my heart about. I'm afraid to go all in. Pastor Dell, why do you call this message the 13th disciple? And why do you have us standing up for so long? Just give me a second. I call it the 13th disciple because this man walks away from following Jesus. Jesus has 12 disciples and this one could have been the 13th, but gave up his position because he wanted his stuff more than he wanted Jesus. He wasn't a young ruler. He was a young slave. And I wonder if many of us miss out on opportunities for discipleship because we're not all in. God, I need you right now. Because somebody's watching online. Somebody's in this room. And you're convicting their heart that they have not been all in. They've been playing the celestial penny slots of heaven. But Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, would you, all over this room, and even if you're watching online, would you just close your eyes and put your hand over your heart? Lord, I pray, would you soften this heart right now? God, I pray all across this room and all across the world, those who are listening and watching online, I pray right now for those who are saying this is too hard, would you remind them that nothing is impossible with you? And God, I pray that you would show them that you're so, much, you're so worth the sacrifice. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. God, there's rewards and suffering for you. But God, our heart, God, our heart is deceitful and sometimes this thing gets hard. So I need you, Lord, to soften our heart right now. Pray with me, church. God, I need you to soften my heart right now because there's some things I've not surrendered to be all in and I need to surrender them. There's some salvation that I, or, or some, some relationships rather. There's, there's some pride I need to surrender. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to ask a question. And if you're going to respond in the affirmative, I'm going to ask you to do it by the raising of your hand. And I'm the only one who's looking around. If you're in this room and even online and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you just, you're not following Christ. You've come, a friend invited you maybe, or I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if you say, Pastor Dell, after hearing you preach today, I do realize that I, I have, I'm not following Jesus, and I want to follow him. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and be bold. On the count of three, and no one's looking around. It's just me. I, I just want to check you out for a second to see where you are. One, two, three. Okay, I see you. I see that hand. Okay. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do, and I can't see those who are online, but I'm trusting that somebody's watching this who's giving their heart to the Lord. Here's as simple as it is. Here's all it means to follow Jesus. It just means to give up on trying to carry your baggage and just let him have everything. So I'm going to ask us to do this all together, whether you raise your hand or not, so that we can do this in unity and support our brothers and sisters who are giving their hearts to Jesus. Would you all repeat after me with conviction? Would you say this with me? Would you say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And I'm asking you, that you would come and be my Lord and be my Savior. I confess that you died on the cross for me and you rose again for me. And I believe that you are the Lord and that you're coming back for me. Jesus, come on, say it with me. Jesus, my faith is in you. 
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap for that. Come on.